0: Christ. pray and just leave right now. This right here, Romans chapter 8, is a a magnificent chapter to go through. And as we start this exposition of going through Romans chapter 8, there are two things that I just want to communicate right away. This, This is the first, if you were to ask me how long are we going to be here for, my answer is going to be, I just don't know. Because I want us to search in one the depths of this chapter. I can tell you, I think you'll go up to Thanksgiving. But that's just a thinking. The second thing is that as, as I've been praying about what we would go through next, I couldn't help but think of this glorious section of Scripture. Romans 8, the middle. Let me explain just quickly how I got here, saying let's go through this passage. One thing that I've noticed while being here in the past two and a half years is this. This church, in God's good and all-knowing providence, has put us through an extended period of hurt and loss. In two and a half years, we've experienced the loss of three long-term members. We've experienced a pandemic. We've experienced political craziness. And so, maybe as I was praying, this is a passage that when my heart is heavy, that I turn to, I think, as we've had our trials and losses here, this passage could be long to our souls. As the weary Christian travels, this is a passage, Romans 8, that we can and we should get behind constantly Because there is a deep sense that as you're reading through this chapter, that life just speaks right through it. it speaks through the words. It speaks of our standing with our good God. That no matter the current circumstance, no matter Situation. We now find our life hidden in Christ. We now find ourselves in Christ, as the New City Catechism says. What is our only hope in life and death? And if Paden is hearing this in the nursery right now, he's going to put up his hands and say that we are not our own, but belong to God. Charles Spurgeon, a Baptist preacher of the 19th century, said this about this particular chapter of this book. I love it. I think this is a great summary. No condemnation. No condemnation, he says, is the first note of the chapter. And in the last verse, it is no separation. What glorious music there is here. Happy are the people who have a share in this double blessing but unhappy are the men and women who know nothing of it. And so we come here today, Romans 8, verse 1, to sing of this glorious first note. No condemnation is what Paul is saying. But here's the reality. Is that as we travel through life, Bumps and bruises come along the way. I don't like bumps and bruises. Bumps and bruises don't normally make me happy. And so, as we sing this song of no condemnation and no separation, there are a few things that can tend to happen. Sometimes we're at a point where we are just trying to speak this song. Other times we are getting to a point where we've forgotten the words but we still remember the melody. And then there are other times when another song comes into our mind. It's not the song of no condemnation, but it's actually the song of condemnation. And in this song, It's almost as if it's on repeat where we weep or remember our past failures, our present weaknesses, or our possible future shortcomings that we can't see. And so this song of condemnation is continually on repeat in our minds. But this is a song that's not put here by God. This is a song that's put by the devil into our minds and hearts. And so here, let me tell you what Paul's meaning about this first verse in Romans 8. Simply put this. For those in Christ, condemnation does not hold up in the heavenly courtroom. Let me say it again. For those in Christ, condemnation does not hold up in the heavenly courtroom. And so here, I just want to ask are you here this morning and feeling the weight of guilt? The past sins. Maybe present sins, or maybe you are worried about future sins. Maybe the weight of not measuring up in this life is getting to you. The tune of no condemnation, as Spurgeon says, must be on repeat in our minds. This is a glorious blessing and promise that Paul is telling us. And so we must sing it and sing it loud so that the song of condemnation is the background music and slowly and eventually fades. But in order to understand this blessing of no condemnation this morning, what we have to do is a couple of things. We have to understand why Paul is saying this. What has led Paul up to this point to say that there is therefore not, no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus? But then it's also equally as important to understand what it doesn't mean by looking at the world's idea of no condemnation, and then we are able to look at the message that Paul is saying here, no condemnation for those in Christ. Is the therefore therefore? You know, I've mentioned this a few times, I'll continue to mention this until I'm loo the face, or you guys just start throwing things at me. Growing up, the new pastor used to say, When you come to a therefore, you have to ask what it is therefore. And I never understood what he meant by that. What in the world? So here, let me try it to say as simply as possible. when you come to a therefore? One word, you need to ask what it is there, space for. So, let me, I just want to make it as simple as possible for you guys. I'm a simple person. So, what is the therefore, therefore? Well, at this point, I just need to go on a little rant of saying this is why sometimes verses and chapters are incredibly uncomfortable. Because far too often what we will do then is we will look at Scripture as just a textbook of individual or isolated ideas. So you read chapter 7 of Romans and you put that on your shelf and then you come to Romans chapter 8 and you start to study it as an individual chapter instead of Romans as one entire book. And so to understand what this therefore is there for, we actually have to look at Romans chapter 7. Because Paul here is intentionally and systematically going and writing a letter to the Romans of the Christian faith. He is explaining throughout this chapter one through seven the way of salvation and when you then become a believer in Christ with benefits of what it looks like. And so. That's why little tangent chapter numbers and verses can sometimes be just awful for us. Helpful to memorize, awful to study in context. So we go to Romans 7. What is Romans 7 all about? Paul in Romans 7 is explaining to us that as people in Christ, we are released. that the law no longer shackles us. The law no longer condemns us. Paul is saying you were once bound to the law, but now, being in Christ, you are not. And so you are no longer bound up by the law, but released from the law. But Paul is saying the law no longer calls out against you guilty. You are guilty but instead you're released from the law. And so then Paul, assuming that he knows what the next question is going to be, is, okay, so Paul, is law law sin? Paul says, no, the law is not sin. In fact, Paul goes on to call the law holy, righteous, and good. So it's not the law that is sin, but it's our sin that takes the law and twists it and distorts it. So it's our sin that wrecks the law. The law is holy, it's righteous, it's good. And then he finishes this chapter with what is important to know therefore is it. It's that like the law is so good for are a Christian. The law lets us know how to obey, how to glorify God. But there's a problem in each and every one of us. It's that when you become a Christian, you still struggle with sin. Although you are justified in the sight of God, you are perfected the sight of God, sin still wages war against our our sanctified self. Sin still wages war against us so, guess what? We still sin. I am a sinner. I sinned this past week. And here's where then we cry out like Paul. For I cannot do the good I want. For the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind. Making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And so, what Paul is saying here, the Apostle Paul, this isn't some type of past idea, this is a present idea that Paul is saying, is I don't do the things that I want to do, and I do the very things that I don't want to do. I still struggle with sin, is what Paul is saying. This is the theological term of indwelling sin. The Christian, although they are saved, still has indwelling sin that till the day they die will have to fight against. We will still yell when we shouldn't, or argue, or hate, or lust, or steal, or covet when we shouldn't.
1: Because we still have
0: indwelling sin that comes out of our hearts. We'll see this a little later in Romans 8, as Paul gives us a very helpful hint on how to fight this flesh, this sin of ours. But this is what Paul is saying, and this is why the therefore is there. It's because he's reminding us of a very important truth. It's that Christ has saved you, but you still have sin in your hearts. Christ has saved you, but you still will sin desire to sin. And Paul is saying, as a Christian, I don't want to do that. I hate my sin. I hate that I've just coveted another man's property. I hate this. I hate that I don't do what I desire to do. That's yes, obey the law of God. so we come and we see that this is why this therefore is here. This therefore is put here as a transition word to a beautiful promise and blessing that we as Christians now cannot and must not forget. And as creatures of God, as creatures created in God's image, as creatures created in God's image and likeness, we know that something is fundamentally wrong with us. We we know that there is some type of moral code to abide by and live by. This is something that mankind has been wrestling with their whole entire life. How is a person to live? What is the moral standard? And we ask these questions because the law of God is stamped on our hearts. Every person that walks this earth has the moral code written upon them, the law of God. And because every person has this, we try to shape this guilt. We try to curb any thought of punishment. Now, I promise you, I just didn't take Charles Spurgeon's summary so and preaching it to you, but I think there's a lot of things that he said here that's important. So, Charles Spurgeon said, or his thought, the world far too often stops at no condemnation. In fact, he said, this is the serpent's gospel. No condemnation, no guilt, no punishment for your actions. We see this as the very first temptation in the garden. In fact, God just wants to prevent you from being like him. So you should just take this. There will be no condemnation for you, Adam and Eve. And so what essentially the serpent is saying is that there will be no punishment or guilt for your sin. And we see that this is still the same message that is going on today. There's no condemnation. There's no guilt. There's no punishment. This is still true of our time. Let me explain it like this and and show you how this is still the same message. We are trying Figure out in right now, 2021, a very confusing thing, aren't we? The political landscape is trying to figure out morals and ideas of how one must live. This is I'm not going, this isn't me going into politics, take a deep breath. Culture and society and universities are trying to wrestle with this, and here's, here's the thing, is that this is no different than what it was like 100 years ago. 200, 300, 400, 500. As we try to escape from the law of God, the moral code, we find out that there's nothing new under the sun. That it's the, the same idea packaged up differently each century. What's going on right now is no different than first off that should be encouraging because that means that the Lord will continue to see us through this time, just like he saw people through a hundred years ago there. time. But what does no condemnation this gospel look like for our time? Well, here, let me use this illustration. There are those have a natural tendency to feel anxious and depressed. That is a real thing that some people just naturally have hardwired into their makeup. All they can do is just cast their care upon Jesus. But then there are those who experience. Things like anxiety and depression, not because of anything naturally hardwired into them from birth, but because of sin. They know deep down what they are doing is against God's law, the law that is written on their hearts. So they sin and feel a sense of guilt, a sense of anxiousness, a. Of depression. And what the world is saying to them is they're saying live your individual life against God's law. Be as authentic you as. And if somebody tries to bring that up, then it's not that you're the problem, or that your sin is a problem, it's others. They're judgmental, condemning. You shouldn't feel guilt over your wrong actions. And if you do, it's not your fault. Thinking that's not actually true. But here, let me just explain: not from a Christian's perspective, but from somebody who isn't a Christian, from their perspective. As to speak, I was I was reading an article called Psychologists Are Learning What Religion Has Known for Centuries. So this isn't a Christian, this is somebody secularist, a psychologist, a secular psychologist, this isn't. Me, by any means, trying to say psychologists are bad, this is just what the secular world is saying about this. If you have depression or anxiety produced from some type of thing, then psychologists are learning what religion has known for centuries, and it's this, you need meditation, you need prayer, you need singing, you need a community of people around you. As I was reading this article, do you know what the main thing was? Is that here religion is good, but let's just take the God part out and let's just apply these good principles so that we no longer will suffer from different sins. And so the world's idea of no condemnation is let's just take all of the badness out of everything that's happening. Let's gloss over that and let's just try to fix ourselves to feel as good as possible in this life. There's no badness in this type of gospel. There's no sense of being wronged against or wronging somebody else. This gospel is just, I don't want to experience condemnation. And if there's any internal condemnation, then there is some type of problem, and I've got to fix it, because it's not normal. But this is what I've been trying to persuade us of, is that we have the law written on our hearts. And this is why Paul is saying that he still feels his condemnation. So what we do is we try to look for ways to ease the guilt and rid ourselves of any sense of condemnation. But this belief ends up only leading us to eternal condemnation. But what is Paul saying for the Christian? Paul is saying that you can actually Experience a reality of no condemnation. Paul is saying that if the Christians were not in Christ, they would be guilty and experience condemnation, but because they are in Christ, they do not experience condemnation. How is this so? How do we not experience true condemnation? Paul tells us, when you are in Christ, you experience no condemnation. You don't experience no condemnation by just meditating, by just praying, by just singing, by community experience no condemnation by reading your Bible, by attending church. You experience not no condemnation when you are in Christ. Being a good religious person still will lead you to experience God's condemnation, but not those who are in Christ Jesus, Paul says. But maybe what you're thinking right now is no condemnation at all? none. Absolutely zero condemnation for me right now. Maybe just a little condemnation. Maybe a little condemnation for that serious sin that I committed against another when I was in high school or I was a young adult or whatever. Paul says here, no condemnation. None. But maybe it's that somebody sinned against you. And it's caused you to feel an immense sense of guilt and condemnation towards yourself. You know, I have been reading so much lately about the pornography industry and about sex trafficking. That's some modern-day slavery. And when you read about different people who have been forced and forced into sex trafficking, One of the common stories I'm continuing to read and hear is that somebody took advantage of me when I was young. And I just felt like I could offer nothing to this world except for my body. And so maybe you've experienced where somebody has sinned against you in such a way where you feel like you are useless. Paul here says, if you're in Christ, guilt well maybe you're still thinking, what about this present, persistent sin? That for a month at a time I can seem to have this sense of victory, but then it comes up and I fall. Paul says no condemnation. But what about the potential future sins? Paul says no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Those in Christ experience The freeing power of no condemnation. The Christian is no longer held to condemn for his or her sins. You are set free from your guilt when you find yourself in Christ. Your sin does not have power to condemn you because you are no longer an enemy. A precious daughter and a treasured son. And so, how is it that I experience this present reality of no condemnation? Well, as we will see, it's that Christ Himself experienced God's condemnation in the flesh for you. He says it in verse 3 He experienced condemnation in condemnation in the flesh so that those who come to him would not experience condemnation. You know, condemnation in the Hebrew and Greek language is linked to this idea of courtroom. So imagine with me that you're in court. And every breaking of the law that you have done in your lifetime is played on screens of TVs. Well, Max, I noticed that you went one mile per hour above the speed limit, which technically is the law, You went to 71 on the highway and it says 70. It's called the speed limit, not the speed minimum. And you know, when you were in fourth grade, you were a crosswalk person. I saw you jaywalk that one time. And as all of The laws that you broke are flashing onto the screen, and as your sentence is getting higher and higher and higher and higher. The judge's son walks into the room and says, I will take his punishment. Let him walk free. Don't hold anything against him. Don't look at him as a lawbreaker anymore. This is the freedom of no condemnation that as the Son is sentenced to life for your breaking of the law, you walk free because of what the Son has done for you. This is the freedom that you're granted in Christ. And although you will mess up time after time, you no longer have to live in condemnation. This is the the blessing of this first note, is that because you are in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation in your life. So here, let me finish this message with this. Your life, when you are in Christ, is not in your failure to keep the law of God but in Christ's ability to keep it. To be in Christ means that your past sins, your your present sins, and your future sins do not condemn you because Christ has died for your sins. And now some of you right now may be thinking, like, well that means that I can just keep on sinning. This is awesome. But Paul with an emphatic no in Romans 6 says, no, you don't continue to sin so that grace may abound What Paul is saying here is, because of our nature of indwelling sin, when we fall into temptation and we do sin, we have a, a, a moment of rebelling against what God has saved us from and we fall back into our old selves. We can and must be reminded that there is no condemnation for that. And so then we repent. You see, this is why the child of God sings this song. The sweet note of no condemnation because we are free from sin. Free from sin. No longer guilty sinners. But like I said earlier, treasure sons and daughters. And so here, if if, if you are caught in the song of condemnation, if you're caught with the song of condemnation, constantly being reminded of past failures and sins, present sins, or possible worrying about future sins, this is what we must believe, believe this. I'm not going to come up and say this, 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 and this, and then you'll be forgiven. No. Believe in this promise. And for those who believe in this promise, this is what it may look like. Repent. Repent to God on someone else I'm believing in this lie. I'm believing in the lie of that I am condemned and a guilty sinner before God, even though I am in Christ. When you read your Bible, read your Bible with the lens that you are no longer under God's condemnation but you are in Christ and therefore free. When you, Christian, are in Christ, he covers all your sin. All of your sin. He's not some type of life where it says covers ninety nine point nine percent of the germs. No, Christ's blood covers one hundred percent of your sins, and when Jesus died for you, He died for all of your sins. So, if you are not a Christian, I just like you to seriously contemplate if you've been living according to this idea that there is just no condemnation, if you are a Christian, be reminded that for those who are in Christ, there is therefore no condemnation. Christ can set you free from what you can never set your Son, Jesus, to die in our place. And so would you comfort us today and cause us to see that we aren't as strong as what we like to think we are, but that Jesus is so much stronger than what we think he is. Would you please ease our hearts and minds for those who the guilt of sin in their hearts, but you please remind them of this blessing. Now for those in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation. I pray this in your son.